All right, people who are loved by the Lord, you can open your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, and I'm going to grab a, a podium. Man, it's such a timely thing. I, what Chris was saying there, you know, if you were here on, on Thursday or Thursday a week ago, I guess now, it's all blurred for me, but um, we're took, looking at Daniel and it says that the people who know their God display strength and take action. That in all the craziness in the world, the people who really know God, and that sounds so like we really know God, but I mean, the people who know God and know what God's word says have a way to experience the world and view the same circumstances in a very different way. So I, I love that. You guys, that when we do this, this is not a religious exercise. We'll crack the Bible open because we get brownie points with Jesus or something like this is power to change the way that you and I live, that we could live in a hopeful way when there are wars and rumors of wars and when the fragility of human government and, and, and economies and stuff is so apparent. And when everybody's at 11, you know, anxiety level super high, there's a real way to live different by knowing what God has said about those things and by trusting him. That's a real hope. The Bible says we have a blessed hope, a hope that's like an anchor of the soul in Hebrews. Love that. So um, now having said all that, we're going to look at Samson's life today. And Samson is a train wreck of a man. So uh, hopefully you'll identify with that train wreck. That's part of the goal. But I don't want to leave us depressed because I think there's great hope in, in Samson's life. So I'm going to, um, I think for time's sake, I'm going to kind of summarize the first three chapters of his life and we'll kind of slow things down and go matrix into chapter 16 and then uh, make some wrap up stuff. So let me do some backstory first. I think we have a little slide that shows the cycle of the judges. Do we have that slide? Maybe. There it is. It's a really uh, profound drawing. You're going to want to copy that down. Okay, so here's what you need to know. So God's people, the Israelites, were redeemed by God out of Egypt. You know the story because you saw Prince of Egypt or, or one of those things. Hopefully not Exodus. That was a trash movie. But anyways, um, God had delivered his people by the blood of a lamb and brought them into the land of Israel. And on the way there, he told them, this is the arrangement that we have, the covenant. It's like a marriage, the promises that we're making. And if you keep the terms of the covenant, you get to live in the land and I will take care of you and bless you. And if you break the terms of the covenant, there will be disciplinary measures just like you have with your children. And they were progressive disciplinary measures. And you can read about those in Deuteronomy if you want to. What you need to know about God's people was that they failed miserably (laughs) at keeping the, the terms of the covenant. And not just little things like, you know, they screwed up once in a while and guy smacked his hand with a a piece of wood and said a bad word or something. These guys got straight up into the problems that had caused God to remove the nations who lived in the land before them. Let's just boil it down. Idolatry that involved child sacrifice. If you think child sacrifice is a problem, so did God. He was done with waiting over 400 years for those people to change. And he removed them and put his people in and said, listen, live with me in this relationship and the world can see what I'm really like. And his people didn't do that. They instead... Uh, mixed with the nations that they were supposed to remove and in the end wound up into that same level of defilement. When you trace that all the way through the Old Testament, you'll see that in the end, God's people actually ended up in situations of child sacrifice themselves, things that God's like, what in the world? So it's a really tragic story. So the, the cycle of judges, by the time you get to judges, they've come into the land and they're failing and it goes like this. They serve God for a little while and then they sin. And that's, that gets more and more profound. And so God's discipline comes in, usually in the form of a nation that starts to conquer them and take over. And they become this cycle of servitude. And then things get really bad. And they kind of come to their senses. And they're like, man, maybe serving God was a better idea. And so they ask for help, supplication. 
And then God raises up what in this book is called judges, people that he would use to help bring about some deliverance for them. They experience a kind of salvation. And then there's a kind of peace, uh, which we have up here silence, because if you're a pastor, everything has to start with the same letter. It's an unwritten rule. So the period of silence, and then they go right back after a while, they get kind of cocky and go back to sin. Does anyone identify with this cycle in your own life? Good. You should. When you read the story, this is what God is working with with humanity, a people that he loves and wants a relationship with, but who just keep uh, breaking that relationship in profound ways. Uh, the judges have a number of stories of these people that God raised up to be part of that salvation. And uh, they get progressively worse as you go through the book. Really, Judges is one of the most troubling books to read in the Bible. It's awful. By the time you get to the end, there's a dude, there's a lady, there's sexual violence and a body chopped up and mailed through the kingdom. It's awful. It's a movie you wouldn't let your children watch. And rather than read the Bible and think, how do I justify this? You're not supposed to. You're supposed to read Judges as God saying, let me show you how bad things are when humanity doesn't have a right relationship with me. And that's reflected even in the lives of the people that God does use, one of which is Samson. And his life is pretty tragic. So let's start with um, the beginning of Samson's life in Judges chapter 13. Um, there's a, a couple, we'll call them Mr. and Mrs. Manoah because we aren't given his wife's name, but we know the man's name is Manoah. And they had not been able to have children. And so one day in chapter 13, um, in chapter 13, verse 2, I'm reading from the NLT. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. He had no children, or his wife had been able to come pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife, to Mrs. Manoah, and said, even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink any wine or other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food, basically great products, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut for he'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth and he'll begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Let's just stop. There's a few things here that are really helpful to know. First off, um, it's cool to see how um, God comes to Manoah's wife and answers probably their prayer. He had seen them and says, you guys, I'm gonna answer your prayer. And not only am I gonna answer this by giving you a child, but your child is gonna be special and set apart. This uh, Nazarite is a term you can read about in the, the law of Moses. And it was a person who was dedicated to God. The, the root word for Nazarite just means like dedicated or set apart. And Nazarites had three marks. Usually people took them for a period of time. They would take a vow of the Nazarite. And there was uh, no wine or great product. So no raisins, none of that stuff. Um, and no, oops, shoot, where's I, no haircuts and no touching of dead things. Even if someone died, you couldn't go to, like, to their funeral and stuff like that. So he says, your son is going to be dedicated like that from the womb, right? From the giddy. He's going to have a lifelong vow of a Nazarite. And so because of that, I don't want you to be eating those things from the beginning too. Now, this is not, don't read that and go, oh, cool, Nazarite. That's what I'm going to go home and do. Uh, there's no holy points in this. This was just an outward way of, of demonstrating that uh, dedication to the Lord. So if you see somebody with crazy long dreadlocks, it doesn't mean they're holier than you. That was um, an Old Testament thing, but a way of showing that. And by the way, uh, it does occur in the New Testament. Paul, at one point, takes the vow of a Nazarite. We see he shaves his hair in the book of Acts. We already covered that section. But anyway, that's Samson's deal. So he's got a really good beginning. Godly parents, a promise from God, and he's set apart from the time 
that he is born. And God says that he's going to begin, and I would underline that word if I were you in verse five, begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. As we saw in our cycle, the people would pray and they'd say, God, we need help. We need to be delivered. And God would raise somebody up to do it. And so he's saying, I'm going to use your son to be answered not only to your prayer, but to be used by me to answer the prayers of the nation. Now, as a mom or dad, how does that sound? Would you like that for your children? Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that what you want? You're like, please, God, may my child serve you all the days of their life and, and uh, be used by you to do great things. And so those are the promises that God makes to um, Samson's parents. So um, I, it's really fun, by the way, I think, if you want to read the verses that follow, I won't take time to do it, to see the interplay between Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. This is a couple that seems to have a pretty cool marriage. Um, they, they trust each other. If your wife, remember the angel of the Lord shows up and talks to Manoah's wife and she goes home and tells her husband. Now, if your wife or your husband came up to you and said, hey, I saw the angel of the Lord today and he told me stuff, would you be possibly a little skeptical? Maybe, Manoah doesn't. It seems like he trusts right away. He, he prays, he's like, Lord, I'd love to, to hear more about this too. So when it happens, I know what to do. He's like, not if, but when. He really trusts his wife. And then, um, and she trusts him too. She's into what he's, his feedback is and him being part of this whole deal and, um, and so anyway, I'm going to fast forward the story. The, the Lord answers their prayer. The angel of the Lord comes back and I'll just make a brief point here. Usually not always, but usually when you see the term angel of the Lord in the old Testament, it is a, what we, the theological term is a theophany. It's an appearance of God. It is, uh, Jesus, um, making a pre-incarnate appearance before he was born to the people. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, in this case, we know because when you fast forward in chapter 13 down to verse 16, they're going to make an offering, a sacrifice. Verse 18, that angel of the Lord, they ask him his name. And he says, why do you ask my name? The Lord replied, it is too wonderful for you to understand, or your translation might say, because it is wonderful. So Isaiah 9, 6, the prophecy about Jesus says that his name shall be called the wonderful counselor and furthermore once they offer this sacrifice the angel of the lord ascends in the fire and then manoah's like oh snap that's not actually in the hebrew uh we just saw god and the bible says in to god has said to moses no man can see me and live and he's like we're dead honey this is it and manoah's wife is like um i don't think so because when you've already killed us if that was what he wanted he's given us a promise so they have a, they have kind of a cool relationship but they had this experience with the lord there so Okay, so verse 24, when her son was born, she named him Samson and the Lord blessed him as he grew up and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Mahana Dan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtol. So real quick to sum up, Israel's in trouble. They're, being, they're getting handed, the stuff handed to them by the Philistines. And I didn't talk about them, but let me tell you a little about the Philistines. Philistines were non-native to that area. They came from like the area of Cyprus or Crete, um, Mediterranean. So they uh, came over and probably were more sophisticated in multiple ways coming from that, uh, that the more sophisticated cultures that would have been over there. They were advanced, we know, in their metallurgy. And so they had better, basically, weapon systems because of that and were able to dominate the, the, uh, the Hebrews because of that. There were, they were, um, because they'd come over in boats and were seafaring people, they had five principal cities and their principal deity was Dagon. So Dagon, if they picked the wrong god to worship. Come on. I've got more dad jokes. I'm not even, I'm not even, I've got more. Don't worry, this is going to get hairy before we're done. So that's, they worship this fish god, this half man, uh, half fish god guy. Five main cities and five, you'll see the term throughout the Bible, five lords of the Philistines. And they're kind of the antagonists 
of the Israelites through much through judges as well as into uh, the reigns of Saul and David and and so on from there. So um, Samson is going to go against those guys as we go. Verse 14, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Boy, this is some solid reasoning by Samson. I don't know. She's cute. What's he doing in Philistine country? Well, this is speculation, but it's very likely that as the rulers of the people, they would have either paid tribute or possibly that would be the place where the farmers of Israel would bring their crops. You'd have to sell them. So you're in town on business or whatever, and you just see this hottie and that's, that's how it went. So so I want to marry her, get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why do you want to go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? Now, the, God had spoken to them about this in, in his word as well and said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, don't intermarry with the nations around you. Now, why do you suppose this was? Is it because Philistines are worse people than Israelites? They worship other gods. Yeah, the most fundamental relationship, the most important thing in the life of an Israelite and the people of God is their relationship with God. And how do you have a, a, the most humanly intimate relationship with someone when they don't share that same thing that's most important to you, how can you do that? So that, that carries over into the New Testament. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 6, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What do you, you, you don't have something in common. It's not that you're better than anybody. It's just a recipe for a really, really difficult relationship. And some of you, how many of you know somebody who's in a relationship where that's not a commonality that they, that they share? Yeah, a lot of us know that. And how hard are those? Very often quite difficult. Um, it isn't that people who don't know the Lord can't be good parents or aren't nice people or good bosses or any of those things. Absolutely. Sometimes to our shame, they they're may behave better than Christians that we know. But it's that they don't share this most fundamental thing. And one of two things will happen. Sometimes God will be gracious. Thank you, Lord, for those stories. And he'll redeem that other party and you'll see a great thing happen there. Uh, but often you'll see <clears throat> it just be a grind. And sometimes even take the person of faith and cause them to withdraw for the sake of their relationship uh, back to where they were before. So the warning here from Samson's life, one of the first ones is, man, don't do this. This is the point of Samson's greatest weakness is his ability to fall in love with the wrong people. So anyway, so the, his parents step up and do the right thing and say, hey, listen, this is a bad plan, son. You shouldn't do this. But he, they, he doesn't listen. He says, I mean, he's got to listen to his argument. But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. <laughs> <laughs> very basic, very basic. His father and mother didn't realize, I love verse four, the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at this time. Now, this is a really helpful verse. It sounds confusing, but let me give you this. Um, whenever there's, the Bible has different kinds of literature in it, right? If you think of the Bible sort of like a library or a collection of books, 66 books, right? You've got different kinds. You've got uh, books that have, like poetry. If you read the Song of Solomon, for example, or Psalms, uh, Greg, if you didn't hear the sermon last time, Greg's sermon from Psalm 78 was really, really good. Um, you've got uh, Proverbs would fall in that, the kind of wisdom literature. You've got books that are didactic. They're teaching books like saying, Deuteronomy, this is what you're going to do. Don't do this. You know, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. And you've got books that are narrative. They tell a story or history of things that happen. The reason it's important to know what you're reading is because in a narrative book like Judges, not everything that you read is something you're supposed to emulate. Does that make sense? So it's an accurate record of what happened. It's not endorsing 
the choices that the characters are making. And this is really important. Otherwise, you'll get confused and you're like, hey, well, Samson's marrying Philistine women, so maybe I should marry Philistine women. Like, no, this is actually a bad example of something to do. You always interpret the um, narrative literature in light of the things that the Bible teaches, the, the, narr- the didactic things. Is that helpful? To you, you're going to read some passages. You have people, skeptics will come to you and be like, well, dude, look what Samson does later on. He ties a bunch of jackals together and tails. And so God's into hurting animals. Like, no, this is because Samson's a violent, revengeful man. God's against the, the senseless hurting of animals. That's not, because he uses evil to accomplish a good end shows the genius of God, not his endorsement of evil. This helpful. Okay, so anyways. So um, God takes even Samson's terrible choices here and uses them for good. And I love this because if you're like me and when you read Samson's life, you identify in some way with his failure or, or weakness or what have you, just know that your weakness and failure is not an impediment to God accomplishing good things, even using your life. This should make us really optimistic people. When you watch people just trashing their life or horrible things happening, you think, oh man, this is it. God is, is at work. He's in control. He's still accomplishing his good ends. And we could run a whole sermon. And then the Bible's chock full of the Romans 8.28 examples. So here it is, the Lord taking Samson's failure and using it for good. So I'm going to race through chapter 14. Here's what happens. They go ahead and try to set up this marriage. Samson, on his way down, is wandering through some vineyards. What grows in vineyards? Ah, oh, grapes. What's a Nazarite not supposed to have? Ah, what's he doing there? What are you doing, Samson? I'm just going to wander down the alcohol aisle. I know I'm an alcoholic. I don't need anything. It's just the fastest way to the cheese. What are you doing, you idiot? So Samson's on his way down there. And on the way, a young lion, following verse 5, attacks him. And it says he tears him apart like a young goat. Because we all know how easy it is to tear apart a young goat, right? Anyway, think of it this way. It's like, in my mind, I was like, what's the parallel today? Oh, I bought a rotisserie chicken from Costco. And I just went at it, hand you know. So that the point is Samson was really strong at that moment because the spirit of the Lord came upon him, verse six. And that, by the way, 14, six is the key to Samson's strength. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. He tears this lion apart and uh, on his way, he goes to Timnah. Now I'm gonna go to verse eight. Later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion because he's a guy. <laughs> if I had torn apart a lion w- with my bare hands, Every one of you would be invited, dude, we're after church. You got to see what I did. I tore apart a lion like a Costco chicken. You got to see this thing. So he's on his way back down there and he's going by. He's like, I got to see this thing. It's cool. Now, what is a Nazarite not supposed to touch or be around? Dead things. Samson, once again, doesn't seem to take his, his dedication to the Lord very seriously. And he inside, he sees a swarm of bees that had made some honey in the carcass. And he's like, dude, sweet. Thank you. Your groans are going to get better as we go. And he scooped some of the honey into his hands along the way and he gave it to his mother and father and they ate it, but he didn't tell them that he'd taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. So notice the progression in Samson. He's making compromises in his relationships. He's making compromises around the, the vows where it's like, well, I'm just in the vineyard. I'm not eating anything of it. Now he's touching dead things. And now he's inviting other people to experience some of those things with him in a very hidden way. Can't tell mom and dad about this one, Right? There's hiddenness in his life. He's shallow. He's rejecting biblical counsel. He's walking in hiddenness. This is not a recipe for success. For the most part, if you read Samson's life and do the opposite of what Samson did, 
That's probably a good way to read Samson's life. So anyway, down they go to the um, to do the wedding feast. Now you knew wedding feasts in the, in the Old Testament largely, and even to the New, are about seven days long if you had the money and and the means. And so off they go to, to throw their party. And it's kind of it's the the party like both inc- preceded the wedding proper and included the wedding and went on from there about seven days. So. Um, Verse 10, as his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party for Timnah, as it was a custom for elite young men. And when the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 men from the town to be his companions. So now his companions are people who also don't worship God. They're followers of Dagon, right? So Dagon, Samson has bad companions. I'm going to keep working that one. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, oh, I forgot to tell you, the party, the word there for party is drinking feast. Again, what's a Nazarite not supposed to have all right exactly fruit of the vine well maybe it was just hard alcohol maybe it was from grain and not from grapes just kidding i don't think it gets better for him so he's he's drinking and it turns out that men when they're drinking sometimes make rash decisions and these men made one they made a big bet he says here's the deal if you can solve my riddle i will buy all of you basically think of a custom tailored suit and if you cannot solve the riddle then you will each buy me a custom tailored suit. We hear change of clothes. It's like, well, I could run by the Dollar Tree and grab a couple of t-shirts. Like, no, this was a costly wager. It's a big deal. So he tells them their riddle uh, in verse, uh, they're like, yeah, so let's do it. Verse 14, out of the one who eats came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. What's he talking about? The, the lion and the honey, right? So that's the deal. So three days later, they're halfway through the feast. They're still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle or we'll burn down your father's house with you in it. What a neat group of people. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me, you hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but haven't told me the answer. I haven't given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? This is probably not a good marriage conversation. I don't even tell my parents that stuff. Why should I tell you, wife? Oh, my goodness. So she cried whenever he was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because he was she was tormenting him with her nagging. Therefore, she explained the riddle to the young men. So before, so just stop right here real quick. There's some uh, references in Proverbs, which I won't read. It says if you're in a relationship with a nagging person, it's, that's death. So, like, this should have been a red flag for Samson. He should have gotten out of there. There's so many red flags for our guy, but... He's not into it. So before sunset on the seventh day, last minute, the men of the town come to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson, again, using that great wisdom of language for a husband, replied, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Okay. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon me, went down to the town of Ashkelon. It's another town close by, killed 30 men, took their clothes, their belongings, and gave the clothing to the men who'd solved his riddle. Samson was furious about what has happened, and he went home to live with his father and mother. So he didn't even stay. He's, he's out. Um, so his wife was given in marriage to the man who'd been Samson's best man at the wedding. So, wow. Again, let's just make clear that the, because the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, God was not endorsing the violent response and revenge, vengefulness of Samson. This is a narrative example of a man who is doing it wrong, fighting the Lord's battles, but in the wrong way. So where do we got? We got a compromised guy who, who's got promises to be made by the Lord, but who's basically wrecking his own life and is now um, murdering people as well as um, engaging in breaking all of the things he was supposed to be doing. But again, notice God's sovereignty in this. He's using the failure of Samson 
in a way to accomplish the deliverance of his people. I just love that. I think we should see all the way through here the, the, the awesomeness of our Lord. So I'm going to race now and, and skip some chapters here to get to chapter 16 uh, through chapter 15. So um, from here, he's going to make some more uh, terrible choices. Um, he's going to kill a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. He's, which again, that's a show. I mean, think about the violence that's involved in killing a thousand people with a bone. You know, this isn't pew, 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 pew. Like you're beating people to death with a bone. He carries off the, the city gates at one point here at the beginning of chapter 16. Um, he gets betrayed by his own people when he does this whole thing um, where he's gone off and lived in this cave. The Philistines send an army basically to go get him and the Israelites are like, hey, why are you here? And, and they say, well, we're not here for you. We're here for Samson. Just give him to us and we'll leave. And they're like, okay. So a bunch of Israelites, 3,000 of them go up to Samson and like, would you please let us tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines? Now, this is silly. Like they're at a place where they need to be delivered. Here's a guy who's handing it to the Philistines. And they're like, yeah, could we just go ahead and give you back to the Philistines instead? Why weren't those guys like stepping into the game saying, this could be it. Let's follow this guy and and uh, be done. But sometimes, you know, you get so defeated, you get so used to things, you just do anything to preserve your little life. And and so you actually hand over the one who God has sent to be your deliverer. Anyway, so off they, they hand him over. But of course, Samson snaps the rope and that's when he kills a thousand of them. So the summary statement of chapter 15 is that Samson judged, verse 20, Israel for 20 years during the period the Philistines dominated the land. And that brings us to chapter 16. We'll slow down a little bit. Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, a prostitute, and went into her. Now, just think of the contrast here. I've raced through 15. God had used Samson, and Samson had prayed his first prayer in chapter 15, and God had answered his prayer by giving him water when he thought he was going to die. And Samson follows this up by going to see a prostitute. You know, but as much as you shake your head when you read it, don't you identify. Maybe you haven't gone to a prostitute lately. Maybe you have. I'm not I'm just saying that the, that process where there's times where you're used by the Lord or you're calling out to God or you see his answer and then you follow that up in some way with compromise or sin. Does anybody else know this story? Only three of us. I know. I completely um, feel that this is the human condition for even Christians. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 7. Where Paul, yes, the Apostle Paul writes these words. The trouble is not with the law. It's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I'm not the one who does it. It's sin living in me that does it. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does anyone identify with that? Okay, a few more. We'll, we'll identify with Paul. We're not, we don't want to identify with Samson. Listen, you guys, we need a savior, right? We are not our own saviors. We need a savior and we have one and his name is Jesus and he's way better than Samson. We're going to talk about that when we get to the end. But when you read Samson, if you just shake your head at him and think, what an idiot. Well, you'd be right. But if you don't go from there and think when you look in the mirror, there's kind of a Samson looking back at me, then I think we are missing part of the story. He's such a warning of what not to do and someone that is so much like me, if, if not writ large. I've definitely never killed anybody, you know. 
But have I murdered people in my heart? Like Jesus says, have I hated folks without cause? Have I cursed the Washington drivers repeatedly? Yeah, I have. And Jesus says that those sins of the heart, even though they haven't manifested in these egregious ways that we see in Samson's life, are at the root the same thing. Samson, a broken man. So uh, anyway, he's down, down in, uh, back in Philistine town doing terrible things. So I'm going to fast forward again because I want to get down to verse 4. So sometime later, Samson fell in love with, what does yours say? 16.4. Loved a woman. Okay. I like the NLT here because it says fell, fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. Her name uh, means devotee, I think. And it's very likely that she may have been a temple prostitute. Because you also think like, who are these women who are falling in love with Samson? The guy that murders stuff, you know, lots of your people are like, he seems like a good guy. I don't know. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> nobody makes good decisions in this story. So Samson falls in love with this woman in Delilah who lived in the Valley of Sorek. Do you know what Sorek means? Valley of grapes. <laughs> Samson. Okay, so the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong. Now, this is, I'll just pause and say, this is interesting that they don't, they're, they're wondering why Samson is so strong. Now, Mike Oyen's not here today, so I can pick on him. If, if, I, if we saw Mike Oyen, and he's a pretty substantial human, uh, you don't wonder what makes Mike strong. You look at it and you go, he clearly works out, and he's a big, he's, he's got muscles. That's what makes him strong. So most of the time when we see Samson, if you read any children's book, do we have that little picture that I took out of that sweet uh, picture Bible? You see Samson drawn something like this. Did that make it in the slides? I mean, he's like Wolverine, right? It's probably an X-Man, something like that. But, you know, if I saw a guy like that, I wouldn't wonder what made him strong, I don't think, unless I was thinking maybe he was Captain America and there was some kind of like super juice. But uh, I would think, oh, he's a muscular guy. So you can take that slide down lest we distract everyone um, and say this. It's, it's likely possible that Samson was a guy who looked more like me. We were like, how is that guy Dragging off city gates. There's no way. That doesn't make sense. Just a speculation. We don't know. But they didn't understand. So they wanted to know what makes him strong. So they say, entice him. Boy, I like that word. We'll see that again in a minute. So that he can be overpowered. And that each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So to contextualize that, when you get to the next chapter, which is a different story, a guy is offering to hire a man for a year's wages that's 10 pieces of silver. So take whatever your annual salary is in your brain and multiply that by 100. And that's the amount of scratch that they were offering Delilah to betray Samson. It's a lot of money. It's a way to set her up. Also, she probably didn't have a lot of choice. Like, if she didn't cooperate, they were, things weren't going to go well for her. Clearly, these are people who burn families alive in their homes. So, so verse uh, 6. So Delilah said to Samson, I'm just going to make this fun. Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. So Samson begins to lie to her. What a great relationship. Again, just total dysfunction all the way down. He says he's going to do this three times and give her different answers. And the first one is bowstrings, and the second one is new robes. And then the third one, he goes, well, if you weave my hair into the loom. And in each of these cases, Samson, she, she's hidden Philistines in the house. And so he's like, she's like, tell me your secret. And he's like, okay, here's my secret. Lies to her. So she does the thing. And then she's like, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks the ropes or snaps the things and just handles his business with the Philistines. Now, at this point, wouldn't you think you'd find another lady? (laughs) You know what? I know I lied to you and I know our relationship's dysfunctional, but you literally told them what, you know, tried to have me killed. And he does this three times. But again, as much as I mock that, haven't you seen people or maybe yourself when you have been in love 
love has this kind of blinding effect on us where we'll overlook everything else, right? And how many of you have, I'll just say it this way, have you watched somebody do this where you're the one being like, red flag, dude, he's a lying, violent man. Or dude, she's a prostitute who worships demons and who betrays you. And it's like, I don't know, man. I think she can change. I think I can bring her to the Lord. You know, if I just spend time with her and really invest in this relationship and she sees my my character. Listen, I just, before I go any further, I'm serious though, seriously. Like the Bible is serious about this. If you are in that relationship, you know, if you're dating somebody or you have a friend and they're not a follower of the Lord, they have a demonstrated pattern of these things. You need to end that. You don't need to soft pedal that out like, hey, can we just talk about, you know, I just, you know, Delilah, just don't things are working out. I really feel, I, just, I want you to know that you're special and important to me, but I need to just step away for a time. No, you just need to delete the number. Don't talk to them, run away. Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it from you. He's not saying your right hand is evil, but he just knows how this works. When something becomes a problem for us, the way to deal with it is to do deal drastically with it, or it will deal drastically with you. And that's what happens to our, our guy, Samson. So here, let me flip this over here. So skip all the way down to um, verse 15. Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Which you're like, oh, so this is where they break up, right? No. Nope, not Samson. Nope, he's in it for the long haul. So verse 17, finally Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. Now it's interesting, this is the last vestige of Samson's consecration, right? He's compromised with women. He's been around grapes. He's throwing drinking parties. He's touching dead things. The last thing was his hair. You know, maybe you try to think about Samson's hair. He probably had like in dreadlocks or something. It probably looked kind of cool. Never been cut his whole life. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he's finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Now read verse 19 very slowly and maybe do some underlining. If this doesn't sound like the way the enemy works with us, if this doesn't sound like the recipe of how sin progresses, I don't know. It does such a beautiful metaphor, beautiful in an awful way. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep. How does it read in your Bible? Made him sleep. Okay, I love this version of lulled. Like, don't you see that in your life where you think, have you ever had a time where you woke up, kind of came to your senses and realized you were way far in a place in your life that you never thought you'd be? And you're like, how did I get here? And it wasn't radical. One day you weren't like walking with Jesus and you're like, you know, I haven't sinned in a while. Let's get on that. Let's go do something. No, it's usually a slow progression, a little compromise here. You know, you're walking by the Valley of Grapes. You're, you know, eating this. You're taking some honey that came from a lion. It's just, it's progression. So I see this, this is such a beautiful thing. Are you being lulled to sleep in your life? Is there something right now as we're talking about this, as you're reading these verses, the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on your heart and saying, this is an area that you know isn't good for you. You know, the thing that we're gonna see with Samson in a minute is he's going to wake up and say, I'm going to shake myself free as I did every other time. God is so gracious. How many times have you been in a situation you shouldn't be in and he intervened and rescued you? But there comes a point. There comes a point 
where your sin finds you out. Where Israel, for all that spiral that we watched, God finally says, you know what? You're gonna be, you're gonna leave the land now. You're gonna have to go to Babylon. I'm not forsaking you, I'll bring you back, but there's not, there's not a deliverer coming in this time. The city's gonna fall. Don't get to that point. If the spirit is laying his hand on something, today is the day for you to say, I'm out of here, Delilah, I'm done. I'm going back to my king, the one who bought me with his own blood, who loves me, who gives life, and I'm gonna let that thing go. I'm gonna cut that off. Are there files on your computer? Is there stuff you've got stashed in a little bag somewhere that you're hiding? You're living in hiddenness. It's eating you up inside. You are not alone. You're in a room with people who know that experience. Either they're in it now or they've been there. Today, just get rid of it. Man, you guys, it could be the day of freedom. I wish it was for Samson, but it's not. Watch what happens to him. So he's lulled to sleep with his head in her lap and she called the men to shave off the seven locks of his hair. By the way, this guy was a deep sleeper. People are weaving his hair into looms and like tying him up while he's asleep and he's just out, man. This guy's a deep sleeper. If someone started shaving my hair, I'm pretty sure I'd wake up no matter what was happening and I'm a deep sleeper. Anyways, okay, so she shaves him off. And this way she began, again, the language here, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. This is such a picture of sin. It brings us down from spiritual vitality and life and our strength is gone. And then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And he woke up, he thought, I'll do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. This is the tragedy of sin is that we get to a place where this distance in our relationship, the Lord has grown so great that we don't even know it right? It's like the, uh, the Laodiceans who say, oh, we're rich and have need or nothing. And Jesus is saying to his church, like, oh, you guys are blind. You, you don't even know how poor you are. You know, repent. So the Philistines captured him, 21. This is another great verse of the consequences of sin. The Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes, took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. This is what sin does to us. It blinds us, it binds us, and it just grinds us down. I wonder what it was like for Samson at that point. This is all Michael's imagination, but I don't think it's wrong to do this. Think about Samson. He's in, now the guy who's conquered Philistines has been conquered by the Philistines. He's chained up like an animal, walking in circles, grinding grain, can't see anything, mistreated. What's he thinking about? What do you think? I sinned. You know, what else? What would you, if you put yourself in that situation, what do you, what would you regret? Oh, <sighs> regret. If only I hadn't gone through the vineyards down to Philistine country in the first place. If only I had left at the first time I was betrayed. If only I hadn't, if only, if only, if only. Stumbling blindly along in circles, grinding away. The one who'd been used of God's spirit, who had walked in victory, if only. Are you being lulled to sleep in the lap of the enemy, thinking, here are the lies that we think, I can handle this. I'll shake it off like last time. Run. One of my favorite teachers when I was down at Ecola, hey, shout out to Ecola students. I'm glad you guys are back. Welcome. Um, by the way, hey, this is more fun. If you know anything about food, I do not, please take an E. coli student home someday and feed them. They will be really glad. They're eating institutional food this whole year. And they're really nice people, really neat, except for Josh Hunt. Don't have anything to do with Josh Hunt. 
Just kidding. Josh is my friend. Seriously, invite any Cola student home. You guys will have a really great time and they'll be grateful for whatever you feed them. They don't pay me to say that. They should though. <laughs> Listen, run while you can. Sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. It will always keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. What a profound example of Samson. Lord, I just want to pause real quick before we finish and say, would you please not let us miss this moment? God, you see your people. You know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You even know the places where we're asleep. And I ask today, if there is a place in my heart or those of my friends that you love, that you died for, with all of your kindness, would you lay your hand on that thing? And would you give us the courage to call it what it is and to change our minds, to repent and say, Lord, today I give this back to you. You died for it. You paid for it. I don't have to live under condemnation, but I'm cutting it off and I'm walking in the light again today. Please let today be the day of freedom where those, those things the enemy's been doing, those machinations where he's trying to hurt your people are broken. Amen. Okay, but look at verse 27. But before long, his hair began to grow back. So while this is happening, while Samson's in there grinding away, his hair is growing. Verse 23, the Philistines had a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. Is that true? No. Why was Samson defeated? Samson really defeated himself, right? This is a good lesson for me, by the way. The enemy is always trying to bring you and I down and he wants to curse us and hurt us and he really can't hold us. That's something we have to give him. The enemy's way of defeating you and I is to get us to curse ourselves. So they, they, but they mistake that. And this is a, a, a huge issue. So God is always interested in showing the truth about things. And when the people, so um, when the people saw Samson, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered, I'm in verse 24, delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them and they had him, stand between the pillars supporting the roof. I don't have documentation for this, but I feel like I've studied this before and read it, that the temple was probably a highly vertical structure with like terraces on the top, um, not some broad, big place. But we know there's 3,000 people and it says all of the lords, the Philistines were there. Now, if you remember from the intro, five principal cities, five ruling lords, everybody is there. The leadership of the whole Philistine country is present at this big party where they're celebrating the greatness of Dagon. So verse 26, Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands on the pillars, hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed. Ah, what a beautiful moment. Maybe you're thinking, Michael, I've listened to your story and I'm beyond the point of cutting off my hand. I have been blinded and bound and I'm grinding and I'm sure God's done with me. I'm sure that those things that he used me for in the past are over and I'm dealing with the consequences of my sin and this is the pathetic life I'm, I'm destined to live out. And I'm here to tell you that that's not true. That God is gracious, that he works all things together for good that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you'll turn and call to him, he can and will use your life. And he does with Samson. Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Now, it's awesome that Samson prays. Is Samson's heart entirely right here? Yeah. 
Samson, we don't want to look at this as a hero. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of us that feels that way, but that's not, that's not actually right. Samson put up his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple and pushing it against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. And so he killed more people when he died than during his entire lifetime. Samson's greatest accomplishment, as it were, as a deliverer came after his failure and not before. Listen to that. After his failure and not before. If you have failure in your life, if you feel disqualified, if, you, if the enemy has lied to you and told you that it's over because of this list of things, that's not true. Your greatest days and work may be yet to come. Moses's were after he'd murdered a Philistine, excuse me, an Egyptian, and gone out and spent forty years wandering the desert, and is over eighty years old. That's the greatest time of life in, for Moses. There's a lot of great stories of people who started poorly and ended really well, and you and I could be some of those people. Not because we're great, but because God is gracious. What shall we say as we wrap this thing up? Samson definitely serves as a warning, and we beat that horse pretty good. Don't miss that. You can think, man, this sermon's going to end and I can get out of here. Yeah, do, I hope. But don't go without doing business with the Lord. He loves you. If you're hearing that, if it's piercing you, that is the kindness of Jesus to you to give you a way of escape today, to run from the lap of Delilah back into the arms of your king. Um, I wanted to do um, a little comparison here that I thought was really interesting. Well, no, sorry, I've got one more point to make about this with Samson. Before I end with just saying that God is able to do more with us even after our failure, which is true. Listen to this. Do you know the next time or where we see Samson in the New Testament? Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, what's known as the hall of faith, where God, by the Holy Spirit, through the preacher of Hebrews, lists out all of these people that God says are examples of faith. And Samson is in that list. Samson? I mean, you can see someone like Abraham. Yes, what a great guy, you know. But actually, when you go through that list, all of those people have failure in their life as well. It's a mixed bag. Here's what's not in that list. Any mention of Samson's sin. Not an, it's not like Samson was a man of faith, but he did really fail with women. Just Samson's name as a man of faith. Because God says that their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Not holding that against Samson. You need to know that. May that be a hopeful word to you and I, that God is not holding your failure and mine against you if you have put your faith in Christ. Because we are justified not by works, but by faith. By God's grace through faith. That's our stand. You can walk out of here as confident today as you ever could be if you have put your faith in Christ. But to my flesh, that feels wrong, doesn't it? Why would Samson make that list? Oh man, I hope it's true. I'm counting on it. It's the only way I have any hope. That's the work of our Savior. You and I are like Israel. We were in rebellion against God. We're like Samson. We were in rebellion against God. And he had mercy on us and he sent a deliverer. Not an Old Testament judge like Samson, who was a failure, but someone greater. And his name is Jesus. By the way, here's some comparisons between Samson and Jesus. That sounds really awkward. You're like, okay, let's see how this goes. Well, both of them had births that were foretold to their mothers by God, prophesied, right? Both were separated to God from the womb. Both uh, served at, at times in their life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Both were betrayed by their own people, handed over at, at, at different points. And both of them, I love this point, uh, achieved their greatest victory through their own death. But there's obviously some significant contrasts. 
where both of them faced significant temptation, Jesus had victory over temptation. Samson did not. Where Samson was a man of vengeance and violence, Jesus was a man of peace, primarily. We can, that's a temple, flipping tables, but that's a rare thing for him. Jesus loved his enemies. Samson wanted them all dead. When, when at the time of their death, Samson says, let me die with the Philistines that I can have vengeance on them for my two eyes. And when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Samson and Jesus both died, but Jesus came back to life and is alive. See, the, the things that the, the nation of, of Israel was looking for in a judge when they called out to God for deliverance, God provided a, a well used, I guess what y'all had to work with was broken humans, right? And there was some, there was some measure of deliverance. You think of what would have meant uh, when that temple came crashing down. The entire political establishment probably of the Philistine country was broken. All the lords of the Philistines were there, 3,000 people. This was a decapitation of the, the hierarchy of the Philistines. It's very likely that we would have seen a period of peace for the Israelites because of Samson's death and what God did in using that death. But it was temporary. And they're back in bondage again. And that's the way it works. Until we got the deliverer. The one who's not a judge that's fallible, but one who lives forever, who has an indestructible life, who can really deliver us forever from sin and from the power of sin in our own life. His name is Jesus. This is an awesome king that we have, the one that we're really looking for. But can I say that it, he's easy to miss? The people in Jesus' day missed him. They, they were still looking for a deliverer when Jesus came on scene, right? The Romans at that time were the ones who were oppressing God's people. And they're waiting, they're looking for that Messiah. Man, he'd been prophesied from the time of Deuteronomy in chapter 18 where Moses said, God's gonna send another prophet. And they're waiting for someone to come, but they're looking for a certain kind of deliverer. They were looking really for someone more like Samson, not in his moral failure, but someone who would fight their battles, who would take vengeance on their enemies. And that's not how Jesus came. And sometimes I think when we see the offer of Christ, what we really want is someone who like Samson would offer temporary circumstantial deliverance, but not true eternal freedom that started with their spiritual problem. You say like this, it'd go like this. We say to someone, hey, you know, Jesus Christ came and he died for you and he can give you abundant life. Well, will he give me a better job? Will he fix my marriage? Will he cause my children to whatever their list is, right? I don't know. That's up to him. But I know this, he can forgive your sins. He may also do those things, but what we want is that circumstantial deliverance. We're looking for a certain kind of judge, deliverer. Samson provided that in some extent, but he was a failure in the end, right? The people went back into bondage. But Jesus offers us true freedom. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you made that decision? Or are you still looking for someone or something to offer you just temporary circumstantial relief? I just want my bills paid. I just want my health back. I just want these relationships to be. So all good things to ask for. But those are temporary to this life. And man, money comes and goes. And health mostly goes. <laughs> Politics break down. Don't be looking for a political figure or a philosophy or someone to give you better advice. All those things are fine. But you and I need is the one who came to save his people from their sins. And true for me too. I mean, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. My, I would say my faith is in him. But on the day to day, is it? Or are you and I still looking, hoping for some other deliverance? 
beyond what Jesus would provide. If that is true, that's a dangerous place to be. Because there is someone who would like to offer you those people. The enemy is always looking for a way to pull you in a way, you and I away from that relationship with our Lord. Why did Samson go to Delilah? What do you think? What's that? Yeah, he's, he's looking for some, there's something about his life that he's discontent with. I don't want to be single. I don't want to be, maybe, you know, he's leading Israel. He wants some companionship that's not about the work of, I don't know what his job was exactly as a judge. He, he's discontent. He's looking for something else to be a kind of deliverer for him. And that's his downfall. Don't look for a deliverer other than Jesus. Because he will never, ever let you down. Those who trust in him will not be disappointed. Now, listen, we've talked about this before. It's so important that we get this right. Ultimately disappointed. I can guarantee you that in this life, you will find things that are disappointing. This is a broken world. It's filled with people like Samson and Philistines and others who do terrible things and you and me who do terrible things. This is a broken place. The promise is not... uh, my little pony life of rainbows. Why does that come to mind for me? <laughs> the promise is a way through. The promise is a way through. That in the end, we're not disappointed. That he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, I guess that's about all I really need to say. I've got other notes in here, but guys, I want to leave you with these three things. This is it. One, is there something in your life to cut off? Today's the day. Do it. And maybe don't do this either. Oh, Michael, I prayed that prayer before. You know, I'm gonna get really serious about it. And then I'll, no, make a decision today and ask the Lord to be the one to deliver you from that thing. Look to him as your deliverer. If there are practical things you need to do, for sure do that. But man, repent and turn to him. That's the main thing. It's not even a change of that practice in your life. It's you walking with independence on the king. Number two, have you put your faith in Christ at all? Are you here because someone dragged you or you wandered into church? And you're like, man, I've been trying to run it on my own. I'm looking for a deliverer. Hey, I'm here to introduce you. His name is Jesus. He stretched out his hands because he loves you. Put your faith in him today. And Christian, many of you already here, watch out, be careful. Are you looking for a little deliverer? Is there just a little something you feel like could add in and relieve the pressure of life, the, whatever you're dealing with? Be careful. That's the Valley of Sorek. There's death waiting at the end of that road. <laughs> so don't, don't go there. Uh, okay, last line I think here and then we're done. You guys, you guys can stand. And I think we'll just, I'll pray because I'm over time here. So yeah, please stand with me, would you? Guys, today, run to Jesus. If you run to Jesus, you'll run away from sin. If you run to Jesus, you'll find the one who can take care of your heart. If you run to Jesus, you'll find salvation forever. He's stronger than Samson. Stronger than that crazy Wolverine character that we threw up there. And his arms are also stretched out, not in condemnation, but in love. And if you're not sure if he loves you, just look at the hands at the end there and see those nail holes that went through there that was pierced because he loves you. They're marks of love. Jesus, thank you. Easy to preach. Easy to look at Samson's life and shake our heads. But if I'm honest, easy to see myself. I am so sorry. We are so sorry for how often we've turned away from you, the one who gives life, who came to give us abundant life and, uh, and just wandered off looking for hope in the Valley of Sorek. Oh, we're so stupid. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. The word says that you're mindful that we're made out of dirt. You're a loving father. Would you draw us back today? Pray for that clarity from your spirit. Lord, I ask too, if we're not in, that, in a place of compromise, 
but a place of condemnation if the enemies beat anyone down in here today. I ask that in Jesus' name, you would rebuke those lies, that they would see you anew with your arms stretched out, your hands pierced, your side pierced for us, and knowing that you did that in love. You said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That you would not condemn them in the least. You would say like to the woman, oh, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Today, they can walk out free. Destroy that false guilt, Lord, if it's left over. And Lord, for any that don't know you, may today be the day of salvation. May we leave and trust you. And Lord, the great day is coming when we will no longer live in this broken world with bodies like Paul described that are bifurcated, drawn towards sin, where we're fighting that fight. There's a day coming when you're gonna come and set all things right. Your feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. It'll split in two. You will defeat all enemies with force. Oh, Lord, thank you that that's our destiny. Lift up our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we run with endurance the race set before us, Jesus. Amen.